Welcome to Homebase Hope, all about autism, the show that invites you to think differently, inspires you to take a whole child approach, and most of all, instills hope when it comes to your child and autism. I'm your host, Rhiannon Crisp, from homebasehope.com.au. Let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome back. Today we are talking all about ADHD. Now, ADHD is another type of neurodevelopmental condition and it's commonly seen in kids on the spectrum. So there's often this co-occurrence, but obviously there are distinct differences. So if you have a child diagnosed with ADHD or if you think your child fits the ADHD criteria, or even if you're noticing signs of hyperactivity and inattention, then I would love for you to listen in because this podcast is going to be for you. Today, I'm talking with Paula Burgess. Paula is the founder of Beyond the Maze, where she works with parents and children affected by ADHD. Paula believes that if we help the community understand and accept ADHD, then we will not only be more open to opportunities for them, but we will also give our kids permission to fly. Paula was driven to make change in the world after her son was diagnosed with ADHD. Welcome, Paula. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Absolute pleasure. Now, at the start of every podcast, we always rewind the clock a little bit. So I'd love it if you could talk to us a bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I have a um, son with ADHD and a husband with ADHD, stepson with ADHD, and I'm positive my dog is ADHD as well. (laughs) Um, um, yeah so basically back when my son is now 10 um, but back when he was around about three or four years old we started seeing some um, social signs where he just wasn't sort of fitting in the way that he should be and and um, because my stepson who is uh, quite a bit older he's in his 30s um, he was already diagnosed with ADHD back when he was a child we sort of kind of knew what to be on on lookout for um, but it wasn't until we sort of hit my son was four that we were actually asked to leave his daycare centre due to everything that we'd done for him just wasn't working anymore and he was becoming uh, a little bit threatening to people in that uh, centre so they actually asked him to leave so at the age of four years old basically he was expelled from his daycare centre which was pretty traumatic for us to go through as a family um, and that sort of set me on my path. I was working full time. Um, I was a qualified financial planner. I was a career woman and I just, there's no way I was giving up um, work. But I knew that he would need uh, assistance with school. Uh, if he was going to struggle with daycare, then school was going to be an issue as well. So I sort of set the wheels in motion to start my own business, which wasn't actually anything to do with ADHD at the time. It was in virtual assistance. And over the years, I sort of built that up um, and then I found that I needed some support myself as a parent and a business owner then um, with a child with ADHD because I was struggling, big time struggling. So I just Googled it and there was just nothing available. There was nothing, there was heaps of online stuff, but nothing face-to-face where I could sit down and have a coffee with another parent and say, how do you do this or what's working for you? And um, what's happening with school and all that sort of thing. So I actually started my own support groups. Um, and then after a while, I found that parents were coming to me to ask me questions. And I was thinking, I didn't do this for them, I did this for me. <laughs> um, 
So I thought, well, there must be something in this. I need to help these other parents as well. So I went and I thought about doing psychology and my psychologist at the time said, don't even bother. Um, it will bore you because only a tiny bit is ADHD and the rest is everything else. So I thought there must be something else and I found a ADHD coaching course um, in America that I could do online and I spent the next 18 months studying ADHD coaching and um, away I went. I was able to support and then still am supporting parents with, um, AD, with children with ADHD and now I'm working with kids themselves as well, which is super fun. I love doing that. So, mm. yeah. It sounds like a very common journey. Um, you know, that parents have no idea about ADHD or, you know, they've heard of it and they've got a bit of an idea, but they just don't know what it entails and what that lived experience is like. And then they're mm. living it day in and day out. And then there is this fire within them and this burning passion to learn as much as they can. And I do find a lot of parents do go on to do more studies um, personally, but also professionally as well, which is amazing because, you know, as a community, we need this, we need as much support as we can get. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that story. And also another thing that I think parents will find will resonate with them is at daycare. This is when we start seeing a lot of the red flags. When they're going, they're mixing with other kids and the teachers, you know, say, hey, have you thought about this or maybe we should look into this? Is that what you found when you started daycare? Yeah, definitely. And I see it, you know, um, I think within school, the parent, the, the teachers are sort of a bit more um, versed in it, and that they're sort of looking for things. Where at daycare, they're not seeing, they're not knowing what to look for. So I do a lot of work with daycare centres for that very reason, um, and they're just sort of not knowing where to go because these kids that there is, there's some distinct differences, and they're not sure how to bring that up with parents and um, how to deal with it in their rooms because their rooms are very different to school. Uh, and all that so definitely seeing it there and if we can get that early intervention in it then it's going to help these kids um going going forward for sure so yeah i do a lot of work with the daycares for that reason for mm, sure. amazing mm. and you said distinct differences there what are some of these red flags that parents might notice in the early stages well it can be things like um so uh, like i guess delayed so generally what they say with ADHD, these kids can be um, maturity-wise about three years behind their peers. So that's quite a difference when you're talking about maybe a seven-year-old that might be acting like a three, four or five-year-old. And I know a lot of the parents that I work with, you know, they might have a four-year-old and they might have a seven-year-old and their four-year-old is actually more mature than their seven-year-old with ADHD. And that's so common. Um, and then you've got the social um, issues that are coming out too. So the, the reaction where things just aren't going the way that they should be going in their mind and, of course, then they'll act out on that. So they can't control the other children around them and they don't know how to handle that, but they need to control those children around them to get it right in their head so they can cope with the, the scenario or the situation that they're in. So it's it's really a lot of that social issues. Maybe aggression might be coming through as well and a lot of aggression is based from frustration and, again, that frustration is coming from things not going the way that they think they should go or the way they thought that things should be happening in the long run. So, yeah. Mm. And so can you explain the difference, what, the difference between ADHD and ADD? 
Yeah, so actually these days, much like with um, ASD, uh, it's all under that ADHD banner. So it used to be uh, years ago, ADD was that diagnosis you would get if you didn't have hyperactivity. But now it all comes under the ADHD banner and there's your three types of ADHD, which is inattentive, hyperactive and your combined type. So the same as the ASD, you've got your three levels of ASD, whereas you know years ago it used to be Asperger's and then autism and all of that. So they've done a similar thing. Um, a lot of doctors will still use the ADD term Actually, it's indicating there's probably inattentive ADHD there, but it's all that ADHD banner now. Mm, interesting. Okay, good to know. Um, so, what are, so you did mention some of the behaviours that we might see in kids with ADHD. Can we dive a little bit deeper into those? And I'd love to hear maybe what the behaviour is and what are some strategies that you use at home or that you recommend parents use? Yeah. So the big one and maybe the one that gets um, parents the most is probably the meltdowns or the aggression. And they're really big because they can happen, you know, they're, they're, they're usually the basis behind a lot of suspensions um, and expulsions from daycares and schools. Um, so it's important to understand what's causing that, not just, you know, I always say to parents, be proactive rather than reactive. Unfortunately, a lot of the institutions are reactive and they and they have to be for the safety of other children a lot of the time. So we can't really blame them for that. And it's a matter of knowing what's happened before that. So if you get a phone call from the school or the daycare centre asking you uh, to pick them up because they've maybe punched someone or hit someone, um, then it's important to find out what led up to that because a lot of the time, they don't know because they've only seen what's happened, um, as in the, the institution has only seen what's happened, so they can't really tell you what's happened before that. So it's important to continually ask those questions um, because it starts getting them to look at the lead-up to it. And the lead-up to it is what we have to be working on. Obviously, there's going to be a consequence for the reaction, 100%. But we also have to work on that frustration. What's causing that frustration? What's getting, um, what's triggering it and what's not working for them? Because the reason why the frustration is there is something's not working for them. Whether it's something didn't go right for the way they were or a child took a toy that they were playing with or they were playing with a toy five seconds ago and they put it down and they've gone to play with another toy but in their mind that's just there for them later and another child might have picked that up quite rightly so because they thought it was finished with, but in their mind, it wasn't finished with. So it's having conversations around that, and I feel that they're never too young to have those conversations, and it's all about that early intervention to get them their brains thinking a different way and, and doing a bit of problem solving as well. Mm. And when you talk about early intervention, what are you referring to exactly? Yes, yeah, so things like... Um, even if you see something that's not quite right, getting um, you know an, an occupational therapist involved or a psychologist. A lot of parents don't know that you don't need necessarily need a doctor's referral for either of those. Um, obviously, if you want the Medicare rebate, you have to have it. But you know, and a lot of people don't realise that they think they have to start with the GP, then they have to go to the paediatrician, and they need a diagnosis before they can do that. But I actually say to parents, you know, 
come, you know, use a coach like myself or and or have a psychologist and have an occupational therapist and then then do that. So that's so so important and you can put strategies in place for just the behaviour. You don't need a formal diagnosis for that to start with. Um, and then if you're working with a coach, it's getting that questioning right, you know, asking kids what they want their consequence to be, letting them choose a consequence. So I commonly say to parents, sit down with your child, even if they're four, and have a chat to them about if something, if for every action, there's a reaction. So every action causes some form of consequence, whether it's a good or a bad consequence, there's something there. And having a list of consequences that kids know that that's going to be there um, if they do that. So then it makes them help, makes the brain stop and go, if I do that, that's going to happen. And it really helps with that, as we say in coaching, the power of the pause. So getting all of those conversations going when they are young and letting their brain develop around that, it really helps them in the long term. Mm. And... Obviously, a day in the life of a child with ADHD not only affects the child, but it affects the whole family. So there can be a lot of stresses happening at home. Even just getting out of the house in the morning can be very stressful for everyone. Can you give us some strategies on how to calm the chaos at home? Yes, and it's a, it's a really common one that I'm working with almost daily. Um, and it really is child-specific. Um, so the reason why a lot of the chaos at home with ADHD kids is because school is just not their place. So trying to get them to school is a huge challenge because most of them don't want to be there. There are some that love school, um, but a lot of them don't want to be there. So we, it's finding their motivation, getting them motivated, talking with them the day before if something different is going to happen, if something different is happening, that can throw out a completely good morning to be bad enough half a second. So gearing them up for um, if something's different happening, if they've got if you know they're going to have a relief teacher at school, um, then and this is where the communication with the school is really important to get them to tell you if they know, obviously not all the time that can help. So getting them prepared for that. Um, setting the expectation, this is what we're going to do in the morning. Ditching the TV in the morning. I know um, you know these kids can be pretty full on in the morning. So it is easier um, to, it is easier when kids watch TV because they're quiet. You can get stuff done in the morning. But I can tell you if, if TV is a motivator, a huge motivator for these kids, turn it off and they will get ready super fast for you to actually then go, okay, well, now you're ready for school early. Let's watch TV. It makes a massive difference. So the key ones here is just preparing them and finding their motivation and getting them, using that to get them moving. Mm, absolutely. I love using their motivation because we've got to tap into what makes them tick and what is going to help them. Um, and we all work for motivation. We all work for whether it's a paycheck or something, you know, we've got to be motivated um, to do that activity. So, um, yeah, fantastic. I love that. Um, and two, I find a lot of kids with ADHD will have challenges with executive functioning. So that really um, planning, preparing, um, staying organised, obviously these are key features. Um, when we look in the room of a child with ADHD, obviously 
it's going to be different for everyone. But what we'll find is it's there's stuff everywhere um, and it's sort of like what the brain is like. You know, there's tabs open everywhere in the brain. There's mm-hmm. lots of stuff going on. How can we make the room more organised? Or even if we take it to school, you know, the school desk and the school bag and how can we help kids stay more organised? Yeah, so that's a tricky one. Um, Firstly, they have to want to stay more organised, which is always a challenge because they've got far more interesting things they want to be doing um, than organising a bedroom or a desk. Um, it's, it's, again, finding the motivation. So if you want, say, their bedroom um, organised or to be tidy or uh, something like that, so giving them a payoff to that. So a lot of these kids love their electronic devices, iPad, Xbox, TV, whatever's going um so something like that yeah you've got to clean your room but this is going to be what you get out of that and also breaking it down into little pieces don't expect them to walk into the room and stay there for an hour and clean not going to happen you know set a timer make it fun make it a race maybe and say right for the next 10 minutes i need you or even five minutes i need you to do as much as possible as we can do in the next 10 minutes and then you can do whatever afterwards and chunking that down, um, you know, even if you do 10 minutes throughout the entire day, every now and then, eventually you might get that done. Because if you did like, if you did six lots of 10 minutes throughout the day, you will get so much more done in that time than if you put them in their room for an hour and actually said you're in there for an hour to clean because they will find every other thing to do but clean, including reading a book. If they don't like reading, they'll read a book, um, you know, anything else. So it's doing that. And then the desk, the desk is is always interesting. Um, same thing, you know, making them feel uh, that it's valuable to them, you know, making them aware what are they getting out of it. We all want to get something out of something. So what are they getting out of it with if they do keep their desk tidy? You know, they'll maybe they'll beat the other kids in finding the book that they need straight away rather than rummaging through their desk trying to, find the book that takes them 10 times longer than the child next to them so it's finding that um that that reason to do something and these kids are often very clever and bright so it's not that they don't have the intellect it's just that they have this difficulty staying focused and very distracted by things so the classroom can be a really difficult place Um, to stay focused because there can be a lot of things going on visually a lot of noises in the background whether it's you know the lawnmower or um, kids walking past their class so there are just so many distractions which can make it really difficult to stay focused yep definitely absolutely what are some of the social impacts of ADHD? So a child at school, you know, what sort of things will they come up socially and, and how can parents prepare them or better equip them to, um, to really adapt better to what's, what's happening mm. at school? Yeah, so the social ones are just, gen, the biggest one would be making friends and Probably, you know, the main reason why they struggle with making friends is because they're quite rigid in their thinking. Um, you know, they, they they have in their mind which way something should go, whether it's a game or an activity they're doing. They have the right way in their mind. And, of course, when you're talking about the children, so do they. You know, and some children are just flexible and they'll just let me like, yeah, this is the way I thought it would go, but, okay, well, let's just do it your way. But when it comes to an ADHD brain, they just struggle with doing that. So 
it's um, that would be the biggest thing. And then, of course, that then stems from if thing if people if they're coming up against another child that who's rigid, then they'll get frustrated, and that could be, lead to the aggression as well. And of course, then they get they get the naughty child label. Um, other kids don't want to play with them because they might be worried about being hurt, or they're just not flexible, and everything has to go their way all the time. So that that makes a huge impact in them trying to make friends. So what do I say is, you know, again, it's 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 giving the kids that a bit of, bit of freedom to be able to talk about what's going to work for them and helping them see things from other people's view. So things like um, it's just and the easiest way I can explain this is 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 tell you I, I guess a very quick story of how it's worked for my son and. It's a way, so for example, he was sent home one day for actually hitting another child. And we had we sat down, We rather than just doing it in the car, I knew it was an important conversation that we had to have. So he sat at the dining room table and I said, all right, so you've been sent home from school and you, for the reason being for you, hit a child, what's going on with that? So I didn't say why that was happening because um, he doesn't know why. He just reacted and that's it. I just wanted to know what was happening. So what's going on with that? And he said, well, this boy was annoying me, so I hit him. And I said, okay. So then we went into the scenario to find out and ask him questions around why he thought the boy was annoying him annoying him, um, and what happened before that. What was he doing before that to get that boy to come over to him to annoy him? Um, and so it turned out that he was tired and he was lying down at school and the other boy just thought he was actually unwell so he was checking on him and he said leave me alone and turned around and hit him so we around that questioning that we were asking him a lot of questions around it it i then asked him if you saw somebody lying down what would you think and he said well i would think that they were either hurt or they were sad and i said what would you do and he said i'll probably go over and check and i went yeah and he went oh that's all that boy was doing and then I said, well, rather than hitting him, what could you have done instead? Because you were tired, what could you have done instead? And I thought, and this is where we allow the children to run with their own ideas, because my idea was he could have gone to the sick bay and said he was not well, or he could have gone to the library and lied down there. But instead, he actually came back and said to me, well, I could have gone up to bed earlier the night before, so I wasn't tired. And I went, okay, all right. And then we ran with that. How could we get to bed earlier the night before so you're not tired and then we came up with strategies around getting to bed earlier so that whole scenario of him hitting a child actually came with scenarios to getting to bed earlier not around hitting what he could do instead of hitting the child and that's what i mean about going back through what actually caused it to work on that and obviously he had a consequence to hitting the child um, and working through that and that helps them in that social environment and the more you do those things and question them around it, it starts the brain thinking on a completely different path. So it starts building those new neural pathways to get them thinking about, hang on a minute, what could I, what could I do in this scenario? And that takes a while. It takes a few years for all of that to kick in, but it does work. I love that, Paula. I love it because um, this is what I do a lot with kids that I work with too, is getting them to brainstorm, like giving them that opportunity to voice what has happened and then come up with some strategies themselves. Because often they, they come up with way better things than what we would come up with. And if they voice it themselves and they come up with it themselves, 
they're actually more likely to follow through because they understand it. Their brain has gone through that thinking process. Whereas if we're going to say, no, next time you're sick, go to the sick bay or whatever it is, you know, it's not going to be implanted in their brain as much as it will be as if they came up with it themselves. So I love that. Mm. Um, And that's a really good example. Um, I'd love to talk about some of the recommended approaches and interventions for ADHD. What is out there? What is recommended? And what are parents choosing to opt for these days? Yeah, so that's there's so much out there. And, uh, you know, a lot of parents are going um, further into what the norm is, which is fantastic, just exploring different options. Um, But generally the process is, you know, like people will go to a GP first and then the GP will send them to the paediatrician. Unfortunately, a lot of the time that's where it stops um, and they're not really told anywhere else to go. So I, as I said before, I always say, you know, go to a psychologist. A lot of most, maybe 50 to 70% of people have gone down that road, which is great. Um, unfortunately, fewer people go and see an occupational therapist and I think that's so, so important. Um, especially with having those social issues or sensory issues or all of that, I think that's going to help them immensely to get through to the school environment as well. It makes such a difference. Um, Coaching as well, that's becoming more and more popular. Um, And diet is becoming more and more popular as well. And I'm a huge advocate for diet. And I always say diet isn't, um, is definitely not a cure by any means of ADHD. And if anyone tells you there is a cure, then they don't really understand what it's all about. Um, but it certainly helps. You know, there's, there can be huge impact on diet and behaviours um, and it can lessen the behaviours that come with ADHD uh, if you look at the diet side of things. And that's a massive road to go down in itself and something I recommend that is done with a dietitian or a nutritionist for sure. But they're probably the main things and then other people are looking at things like uh, naturopaths and kinesiology, um, uh, cognitive behaviour therapy, all those sorts of of things. But the main ones would be psychologists, occupational therapists, coaching's coming in there and a paediatrician. Fantastic. And I love that parents are, I mean, there is this grassroots movement of parents who are doing the research themselves, getting on the internet, I mean, we do have information available at our fingertips, literally, um, and looking at different strategies and different approaches because we do need to look at the whole child, even though it's a neurodevelopmental condition, you know, so it's from the brain. It, it, it does affect the whole body. And I love that you did mention nutrition. I'd like to ask you, was there anything that you noticed with your son that triggered his behaviours? Because parents would love to know. What, what were the things? <laughs> Most definitely. Um, yeah, so we did the diet, we hugely did the diet. We went right into the bare basics and built up from there. So it took us a good probably 12 to 18 months to really get across what was triggering him. And surprising, people are always surprised when I say our biggest three triggers. So our biggest three triggers, not so much surprising, is tomato sauce. Um, he can't have a a normal brand like a Heinz or Rosella or whatever of tomato sauce. We have to have a natural tomato sauce. Um, I did ask, I did try and make it myself, but it didn't work with him. He didn't like it. Um, But we found one in the natural um, natural aisle that actually doesn't trigger him. So thankful, thankful for that. Um, Supermarket bread we can't have. We have to have 
bakery bread. Uh, and the biggest one, one of his triggers is actually bananas. Um, and people are like, what? Yeah, because everybody has the um, opinion that it's, it's sugar, it's lollies, it's colours, all of that sort of thing. We actually did our colours test and we had absolutely no reaction to any colours whatsoever. So my son's known as a, as a slow amine responder. So amines can be a natural and a, um, a, a preservative. Um, and, sorry, an additive. And he, so they obviously with bananas, it's a natural additive, it's a natural one. Um, and then when they have it in supermarket bread, that's obviously a preservative to put in there to keep it longer, whereas bakery bread doesn't last as long as we know. Um, and chocolate, you know, it's in chocolate as well. So he doesn't have a lot of chocolate, so we don't really have that problem. But, um, but yeah, so, he's, so that means for him, he could have, apart from bananas, if he went to a friend's place and had a sleepover and he didn't take his bread, he could have their bread for a day, maybe two days, but by the third day, he's done. Um, bananas, we can usually have a banana because, of course, bananas are one of his favourite fruits, which is generally the way. Um, and he can have that, like, you know, a banana every three days and he's okay. But some days we'll get a reaction straight away off a banana, other days we won't. So I guess it depends on where his body's at. Mm. It's very interesting because I've been talking to Sue Dengate, who is the author of Fed Up. Um, mm. And she talks yes, a lot about amines and salicylates. Uh, so that's coming out in the yes. Autism Summit. So if people want to head to that, they can yes. dive into that a lot deeper in the Autism Summit, um, which is the online event that's happening this year in April. Um, but it's interesting. I wanted to ask, did you notice the behaviours straight after he eats it? Because Sue was saying that it can take a couple of days before you even yes. notice a reaction. Yes. Yes, and that's why my son is known as a slow amine responder. So we we did the um, fast safe diet, which was Sue Dengate, and we did that with a dietitian. So we had a dietitian who was accredited in that diet. Um, and the reason why we found it so he's slow, so he can take up to, he can take about three, two to three days for a reaction to come out. And we found that with the bananas. So when we did the banana test, we did that day one, he was fine. Day two, the behaviour was escalating. Day three, we had a massive reaction. So we knew then that he had about two or three days before he kind of react to something. Um, and that's why, you know, I so said he could go to a friend's place, have normal bread, and he's probably okay if he stayed overnight. But if we if he stayed at someone's place for a week, we'd send the bread with, up, with him. Mm. One of the um, strategies I suppose that I recommend clients to use is to encourage them to feed the need. So kids with ADHD have a lot of energy and mm. instead of stopping them and saying, okay, no, first you've got to do your homework and then you can go jump on the trampoline, we've got to reverse that and say, okay, I understand that they've got to use up that energy first and then they're going to be so much um, more focused when they're doing their homework. Have you, what are these some of the strategies that you use with your son and what, what kind of movement breaks and things would you do to try and burn off that energy? Um, yeah, so the strategies that we use, so these kids, they need to move and they, by moving their, their hands or fiddling with something or swinging their legs, it actually engages their brain. So I always say to teachers, allow them to move. If they're allowed to get up and walk around, 
let them walk around or at least let them swing their legs. You're never going to get them to keep still. Absolutely not. So with my son, for example, like he really loves math. So he'll sit there and do that for hours on end, no problem. But when it comes to English, not his thing. So we break that up and I'll say to him, um, you know, roughly about 10 minutes or something, I'll, if, they, if we can break it down into tasks, I'll say, look, just do this task and then he can get up, have a walk around or he'll grab the yoga ball and he loves rocking on the yoga ball um, or he'll go outside. We don't have a trampoline anymore because he never really used it, but he used to go on the trampoline, but now he'll run just run outside with the dog and then come back. And it just makes a huge difference. So rather than sitting there trying to get him to do something for an hour, you'll generally probably take just as long because you've got those breaks in the middle, but you'll get it done with a lot less yelling and screaming and frustration, especially from us as parents that just go, just do it. So <laughs> um, it's just a lot more easier because it's just helping that brain re-engage. Absolutely. I think where the confusion comes into it sometimes is that parents will use the trampoline or the soccer ball or whatever it is as a reward, like we were talking yeah. about earlier. So first this, then that. Yeah. Um, but that will not work for these kids who have too much energy and they need to expend it before they can actually focus and concentrate. Right. So when it comes to those things, do that first and then get stuck into the work or the chores yeah. or whatever the least preferred activity is. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, okay, so what are some of the positive qualities of ADHD that you've noticed and how can parents be using a strengths-based model when they're working yeah. with their kids, oh, for professionals and for parents? Yeah, sure. This is my favourite part. I think these kids are absolutely amazing um, and they've got so many strengths that are unfortunately overlooked when it, because the behaviour is so focused on. Um, these kids can be, you know, when they can be a bit delayed with the empathy coming through, but when that comes through, they're pretty amazing kids and they really do want to do the right thing by people but and they can get frustrated within themselves to actually feel that they're, they're not doing that and they can care for other kids so deeply that it affects them quite considerably you know and then they're hyper focused once they find something that they like oh my goodness they can just be incredible and they just focus and off away they go um and you know they might drive us nuts as parents with talking about certain topics over and over and over again but they just know so much about that and they just grow and they just run with that that it just you know never ceases to amaze me that and they're just so quirky and their brutally honest opinion on things can be just hilarious sometimes <laughs> um, so I think you know really tapping into that and just as a parent you can you get you can get you know, we're trying to juggle so much. You might be trying to juggle other children in the family and your, you know, a job and running a household, everything that we can get really frustrated with this constant talking and all of that. But just stop and take a breath and really listen to how much they know about stuff and run with that. And then when you learn about that stuff, when you're struggling with something else, bring the stuff that they love doing into what they're struggling with. So even if it's just something with school that they might be having a problem with, remind them that, you know that thing you just told me about in Minecraft? You know, how can that work here? Or if you know how it can work, bring that into it. Um, so running it that way and then constantly saying, well, you know so much about that stuff. This is really cool. Or 
or when they're showing empathy against another child or anything. So beautiful that you think that way and really um, bringing up their strengths constantly so they know what they're good at. Good at because these kids hear so much negativity in their life that it's you know particularly us as parents we need to keep reminding them how amazing they really are. Mm, I love that. And I love that you mentioned about their hyper-focus and mm. using that to connect with them because that can be the most beautiful thing. They are wanting someone to say, hey, teach me about this. What can you teach me? What can I learn from you? Um, and that is a massive self-esteem and confidence-building thing that you can do to connect with your child. So I love that. Absolutely. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover before we head to the five rapid-fire questions? Yeah, so I think just a, I guess one of the other things when we're talking about strengths is letting them accept their differences. You know, so these kids are different and a lot of the time they'll look at it, they'll look at that in a negative way. So like for example, my son came to me in prep and said to me, I hate being different, Mum, why am I so different? And I went, Wow, I said, How are you different? And he rattled off all these things that he was different, and didn't do the same as other kids. And I went, that is so cool. So I'd love to be that different. That is really cool. And then I gave him examples of that. So, you know, like when we're looking for something for our kids, we need to be giving them examples so the brain is searching for that information to really set that in stone of what's happening. So I just gave him examples of people that I knew who had ADHD and what they had done. Um, in prep, he didn't know he had ADHD, so I didn't use that term, but I just said, you know, look at, um, said, you know, Virgin Airlines, for example, and he goes, yeah. And I said, well, that man, I said, he thinks differently and look what he's done. He's like, wow. And so we just went through things like that. So it's constantly having those conversations with the kids to, to embrace the difference rather than seeing it as a different, on a negative side of things. I love that. Embrace mm -hmm. the difference. Love it. Totally. Absolutely. Um, all righty, let's head to the five rapid fire questions. So number one. What is one habit that parents can implement today? Um, one habit, I think, is just really listen to your kids. So understand what's happened beforehand. So rather than reacting to what behaviours come out, go back, is what we were talking about earlier. Go back and find out what's happened and deal with that. Talk about oh. that. Awesome. Number two, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? This one I really struggled with. I think, you know, the thing that keeps coming to mind is what does a coach do? Um, a lot of people, you know, there's only about 15 ADHD coaches in Australia and a lot of people sort of assume what we do um, and I really love people to sort of go, what does a coach really do? Um, because it's, a coach is such a broad term and, you know, a lot of people think of like a sports coach. So that's probably the main question that I could think of that someone I need someone to ask me. Princess, <laughs> mm. can you just dive into it briefly, what it does entail then if someone came to see you? Yeah, yeah. So what we do is we work on um, basically our goals. So we want an end result. So you might come into a session and there might be issues around your child getting to school and we'll go, okay, so what's happening? And we'll work around. So going back to that, what's happening with the scenario before the reaction happens. That's pretty much what we do in a coaching session. So what I was talking about, the way I dealt or spoke with my son when he hit that child, 
we're, we're sitting down asking questions around what's worked in the past, what hasn't worked, what scenarios happening now, all that sort of thing. And we end up with a result at the end that we that the parents can or the children can go away with and actually work with. And because generally, you know, the parent or the child has thought of themselves around our questioning, then it's probably more likely to happen than if I just sat here and said, this is what you need to be doing because that's not maybe suited for you. And everybody's different, child or adult. So we end up that. And then our next session will be just reassessing if that's worked. If it hasn't worked, it's not a failure. It just meant that something about that wasn't quite right and we just need to find out more to get that right. Mm, and you're one step closer to finding it. And I love yeah. that it's collaborative too. I yeah. think that is so important. Yeah, totally. Okay, what is one book that you would recommend all parents read? Oh, aside from mine, <laughs> which is Beyond the ADHD Label, um, the next one I always tell parents to get is um, the one called Explosive, The Explosive Child. It is amazing. I read that book, or so I do audio books, so I listen to that book. And it had me laughing, crying, nodding my head, the entire thing. It could have been written about my son. So it is amazing. He goes through all the, any behaviours that you're seeing. Um, and it's not all about aggression or anything, being the title of the explosive child. Um, and then gives you strategies. And a lot of those strategies are around that coaching scenario as well. So it's a super cool book to read. And do you know the author? <sighs> I keep... I know it's green. I want to say Rick Green, but I don't think that's right. Um, it's someone green, Dr. Someone Green. Okay, The Explosive yeah. Child. Yes. Excellent. Number four, what is your top unfinished bucket list item? Oh, I was really thinking about this one. Um, I think like, like a couple of years ago I went to Disney World, so that was on the top of my list, and I really struggle now with what's on there. But I think I want to travel around America. Um, definitely, and I think that would have to be my next one. Yeah. Awesome. Number five, if you could only offer one piece of advice to parents, what would it be? Um, just, you know, one of my biggest things is meditation. So really look into the benefits of meditation. Um, you know, I've given a, a, not, a number of strategies in this um, podcast now. So I think, you know, if you're going to do all of those and then add to that meditation, both for you and your child, um, you know, it's an absolute fib that ADHD kids can't meditate because they absolutely can, whether it's, you know, even if you have to start for one minute, to start from there and build up from there. But meditation definitely is something to look I'm a huge advocate of meditation and I think it helps you as a parent just be more calmer and embrace what's happening at home rather than getting fired up. I still get fired up, don't worry about that. But everyone does. But um, having meditation helps you just feel more centred, more grounded, and you can take a breath and just let it happen. Um, and then your kids will be as well. They'll be the same. So look at meditation for sure. Is there a specific type of meditation? Like is there an app for kids or is it progressive muscle relaxation meditation? Or um... Yeah, it really depends on your child. So there's heaps of stuff. My son just uses stuff on YouTube. He just finds what he likes on YouTube. Um, and they'll go from all ages. So usually, you know, when they're younger, they're using it as a game. Like there might be something called spaghetti toes and all those sorts of things. So you can Google, you know, meditation for kids and those sorts of ones will come up. And then as they get older, they'll go into more. I'm a huge Joe Dispenser fan. 
Um, but his is pretty full on menstruation. <laughs> it's a bit weird in some people's eyes. Um, and then, of course, Deepak Chopra, but that's not really for kids. Um, but I just usually use YouTube and I Headspace have a good app as well. So. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, Paula. So how can everyone find out more about you and your work? What are the best places they can find you? Yeah, sure. So you can find me on my website at beyondthemaze.com.au. Um, there's heaps of information on there. I've got heaps of free stuff on there and some courses. And, of course, my book is on there as well. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook as well, which is um, ADHD Beyond the Maze. Um, and then from there you'll find some support groups. I've got various support groups that's suited to different um, different needs um, and you can find there on that ADHD Beyond the Maze page on Facebook as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paula, for joining us. Thanks for having me. See ya. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in today. I really hope that parts of the episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope that you feel inspired to take action from home base. If there is someone who you know who would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. Now, I love connecting with you all. So if you head on over to Facebook and Instagram, you can find me there. All you have to do is search Homebase Hope. Now, if you subscribe to this podcast by heading to iTunes and hitting the subscribe button, every fortnight you will get an instant notification of the latest interview. And if you do love the show, then please leave a five-star review because this will help more people discover us and it will help us inspire more positive change in people living on the spectrum. So until next time, I encourage you to open your mind, respect the differences and above all, believe that you can make a difference from home base. See you soon, guys. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.